Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school fo- football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, so please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan. It's something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model, at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. On today's Coaching Coordinator Podcast, we're joined by the tight ends coach for the Thundering Herd of Marshall, Coach Kyle Segler. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the podcast. No problem, man. Excited to be here and, and uh, again, spread the message and, and lucky to be a part of this great profession, man. Coach, before we hit record, you and I were talking a little bit about you know the challenge we face right now in our country and also the opportunity it presents, and I really loved your perspective on it. And you know, congratulations to you and your wife. Have a new baby that you guys just brought home Saturday. So that, along with everything going on, I think just your overall perspective about how you handle things. I think I'd really like coaches to hear, you know, your outlook on what's going on for us at this time. Well, you know, obviously, I'm I'm one of the the few people right now that get to say I, my daughter will be a first generation coronial, you know, we got millennials and, you know, those type of people. So my daughter's a coronial, I guess, because she was born Saturday night during all this madness, you know, but I think, you know, so much about what we do in this business and in this profession, you know, is just, we talk to kids all the time about, you know, how are you going to react to things? You know, what is your, what's the perspective, you know, in the situation, you know, we always relate everything to football and, you know, it's always about that next play and moving on to the next play. And, you know, right now, you know, I think there's like a, you know, almost sense of outrage in our profession, especially at the college level of guys, you know, cause you know, spring ball is so vital and we got to develop these kids and we're losing opportunities to coach them. And, you know, and same thing, possibly even, you know, in our, in our level, you know, the, it may be affecting spring recruiting and going out to schools, evaluating kids. And it's just, you know, sometimes it just, it bothers me a little bit because, you know, we lose perspective of what it is we do for a living, you know, and we're, we're the luckiest people on the planet because we get to be around kids, be around other great coaches, develop kids, 
and have relationships with these guys and make them better people. But at the end of the day, we're, we're coaching football guys, you know, and I think sometimes you lose sight of the fact that there's people who are working at grocery stores right now from sunup to sundown, you know, getting yelled at by people and stocking shelves and, there's, you know, waiters and waitresses that their tips are how they keep their lights on at their house. And we're closing restaurants and we're closing businesses. And, you know, there's just so much more stuff going on right now to think how much more important coaching football is, you know. And trust me, I, I, I love being around my players and my other coaches. And those relationships are one of the reasons I'm in the, actually the main reason I'm in this business, you know. But at the same time, like, you know, you got your health, you got your family, you know, and, and have, have a little bit of perspective that, you know, this thing's bigger than us guys, you know, and missing spring football, you know, that's, that's one thing for us, but I mean, how much worse could it be? You know, we got, you know, baseball coaches and, and basketball coaches and other spring sports that they had to tell their seniors that their career is over with and they're not going to get to play in their championship. I mean, think about how devastating that would be, you know, for a basketball coach to, play all the way up until your conference tournament and then have it called off. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot bigger than us. And I think, you know, guys sometimes lose sight of that. And, you know, you know, we got to take a step back and realize, Hey man, you know, we're, we're blessed to have our families and our health and the relationships with our other coaches in, this, in the profession, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, if, if you have those things, we're, we're, we'll get through this just like a lot of things that have gone on and you just got to continue to, to, to grow and, and, and make yourself better during this time. How can we adapt to it? You know, what can we do to continue exactly. to push, ourselves as coaches, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing here on this podcast is really trying to find the the opportunity and the challenge here. And as I mentioned, you know, I looked at it and said, shoot, we'll go to seven days a week. We'll keep finding great coaches like you to come on and, you know, spread the message and give some ideas. And you mentioned yourself that, you know, you guys are, are kind of doing that, you getting together with some buddies and Skyping or getting on Zoom and developing yourselves professionally as well. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, we we talk about development, you know, of our players, and that's the, one of the biggest things in this in this in this profession at the college level. It's no different in high school either. You know, you got to develop your players, you know, and you know, you also have to develop as a coach. You know, I'm a firm believer in, you know, I don't I don't have ten national championship rings on my fingers. You know, I'm not the head coach at Alabama. You know, I don't I don't have all the answers. You know, and so until you know. And again, I feel like the moment you feel like you do have all the answers is when you, you need to get out of this business, you know, cause that's, that's not what this, this sport is not thriving the way it is based off of people who think they have all the answers. It's based off of people who are growing and pushing themselves personally and looking inward of how can I improve myself and make myself better to make the people around me better. You know, and I think there's a lot of great guys and, you know, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit, man. I, I know the one thing about us as coaches, we're routine guys, you know, and, yeah, routine of going to going to the office and and being around guys and watching tape and and doing the stuff we normally do. When you don't get to do that, you know, you need to fill that void, you know. And again, I think that you know I'm going to be able to use this time personally. You know, like I said, I got several friends I've already kind of texted with about trying to you know get together and 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 talk some ball and talk some philosophy and you know and just just catch up. You know, I think this you know we're in an era right now that you know technology is just limitless with what we can do. You know, you can set your, your iPad up on your desk and stand at your whiteboard in your office and you can do, you can do a clinic for a whole day, you know, and you know, you, you have the ability, you know, although I'm not there with you, <laughs> you know, to, to stand up and physically show you the techniques or, you know, do the things we normally do in a clinic situation, you know, you, you still can do that stuff and you can still learn, you know, to where whenever we do, you know, get back to normalcy and we get back to, 
how we you know, normally operate, then you have the ability to come out of this with something better, you know. And if you come out of this time period with one drill, one scheme, one just creative thought, then it's just like going to any clinic, you know. That's one thing our you know our offensive coordinator Tim Cramsey and I talk about all the time. You know, when you go to a go to a clinic or you go staff develop with somebody, if you get one thing out of that that you can use in your in your arsenal of tools or thoughts moving forward, then that was that was well worth it, you know. So. Don't use this time to be stagnant and, and, and fall on your, you know, well, well, we've always done things this way. You know, that's the one thing in this profession I hate being said more than anything is we've always done it this way. Well, that's fine. You know, the only guy that I want to hear say that is maybe Bill Belichick or, or Nick Saban. You know, if those guys say it, then I, I still don't like to hear it, but they at least got a little bigger, bigger uh, podium to stand on than I do, you know, so. That's right. Well, Coach, I have a list of, of questions here from – some of our audience and we're going to get to those a really good Q&A before we do that though I wanted to you know talk a little bit about your your path through our profession here and you know what's great about this podcast is when I talk to guys there's certainly some similarities but I think everybody has a unique path into coaching and so uh, for you at least at the college level this started as you were a player at a very good program at, at Sam Houston so talk to us about I guess this start or maybe even what was the inspiration to go into the coaching profession? Oh yeah. So, uh, well, first off, you know, I'm, I'm a fourth generation coach. My, my, my grandfather coached junior college basketball and high school basketball. My dad coached at the collegiate level and just recently retired last year as a, a Texas high school basketball coach. And my brother is a, he's a head basketball coach at Eastern New Mexico University in Portales, New Mexico. So to say that I was born into this profession, I think would probably be the, the, the easiest way to describe it. You know, I just, I grew up in this, in this profession and being around people and seeing, you know, again, everybody has their people they follow, their people they look to for guidance and for inspiration, you know, kind of guide you along your own path, you know, but obviously growing up in a coach's, in a coach's house, you know, obviously I was raised, you know, to, you know, to, to do things the right way. Um, say yes, sir. No, sir. Um, listen to how coach is saying it, not or listen to what coach is saying, not how he's saying it. And also just the relationship piece. Um, you know, my dad is, you know, he's, he's older now, obviously just retired and he's got players that are, they're having their kids, their kids are in college. And when I see the interaction with my dad and his former players, you know, they still call him coach and they still have that reverence for him. And that is, that's so humbling because that's my dad, you know, and also that just, that inspired me like, you know, wow, like what an unbelievable profession, you know, you have the ability to impact people in such a way that this is, again, you're a mentor and you're somebody that you're going to look towards the rest of your life as someone that you're going to, you're going to, you know, still seek wisdom and guidance from, you know, and I, you know, obviously it was a no brainer for me. I mean, you know, in high school, I kind of thought I was going to, you know, go, go to college and, and, you know, being, you know, blessed to grow up in the great state of Texas, you know, there's maybe no better place in the world to coach high school football, you know, and I thought, you know, that was going to be my path. You know, I was going to be a high school coach and, you know, go into the, go into the, the profession at the high school level. And, uh, I was a very, uh, below average player at Sam Houston. I was a try hard guy, uh, limited, limited from a DNA standpoint more than anything, but, but I wanted to play college football. You know, I just, that was something that was a passion of mine and I, I knew I wanted to get in this profession. And I think having that background of doing that, you know, it's, I think the game is, and that's what's so beautiful about our profession. And you obviously can relate to it too, from the, the number of people that 
that you talk to and deal with, you know, uh, with, with your podcast of, it's not the old hat where, well, if you didn't, you didn't play, you know, you don't really have the, the, the clout or you don't have the, the verification of, as a coach, you know, and unfortunately when I was coming into college, you know, I thought that that was something that was going to be big for me. If I wanted to be a, a well thought of coach, you know, I had to go through and I had to play at college at the collegiate level, you know, and, you know, got done at Sam Houston and started graduate school. And I was just, you know, in my mind, I was just going to get my master's degree so I could maybe be an administrator at the high school level and be a head coach at the high school level. And I just kind of reached out, you know, to a startup junior college program and started, started uh, coaching there after my first semester of, of, of graduate school. Uh, I got to come back uh, to Sam Houston in 2010 when coach uh, Willie Fritz, uh, who's a Tulane now, when he took over as the head coach and I was basically an unpaid quality control for about 18 months. So I had, I was staying, uh, staying at a buddy's house, couch and working some night jobs and, you know, kind of a lot of times you hear these, you know, a lot of guys that are, you know, our interns or quality controls or guys like that, you know, everybody's got their story, you know, as far as how you came up and what you did, you know, to get into this business, you know? And so I think, you know, that's, that's how I got my start, you know, and thankfully, you know, coach Fritz gave me the ability to, you know, come on full time going into the 2012 season there at Sam Houston. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a blessing to get to coach there as long as I did. You know, I coached at my alma mater for, you know, for eight years, basically, and having the ability to do that and won a lot of games, you know, and, you know, went to national championship or two national championships with Coach Fritz and had that ability to, you know, be a part of that, something special at where you, you played in some place that's as near and dearer to me as St. Houston is, um, was obviously a great opportunity and really, really special. And then, you know, going into the 20, uh, 18 season uh, after that was over with, you know, I had an opportunity to move on uh, to the University of Louisiana Monroe. Uh, Matt, coach Matt Vitor is the head coach there. He was a longtime head coach at uh, McNeese State University there in the Sun in the Southland Conference, and you know, an unbelievable person, uh, unbelievable football coach, and a guy that obviously, being a you know competitor against him at McNeese during his tenure there, you know, they were one of the best teams in our conference and in FCS for a reason. You know, those guys were tough very well coached and had an opportunity to uh, go be the tight end special teams coordinator there for him for a year and, and loved it. Had great relationships with the staff there. Really didn't, you know, foresee myself moving around, obviously being at Sam Houston as long as I was, you know, I wasn't the guy really trying to move around a bunch and, and had again, I had my daughter, she was uh, really two and a half, three at the time, you know, and so it was kind of one of those deals that was very happy and, uh, you know, then had the opportunity to come back up here to Marshall uh, University with Tim Cramsey. I uh, worked with Tim at Sam Houston 2018, and it was, again, or excuse me, 2017, and it was, you know, he and I just had a really great rapport. And, you know, you kind of, in this business, it's, it's you find people that you really click with from a philosophical standpoint and from a, just, just as, a, as a person, you know, he and I obviously had a great, great relationship and just really kind of are on the same wavelength on a lot of things, whether it be, you know, just life or football. And, you know, obviously having a chance to, to come up here to a place that's got the tradition and storied history from a football standpoint that Marshall does, you know, I just felt like it was something that I couldn't pass up. And I've been here, been here for a year now. And it was, a, it's been, it was a blast this last season. Um, this place is unbelievable. Like I said, the tradition and the, the, the fan, fan support. And, you know, again, no one has the story that Marshall has. And, you know, again, the going through that here, uh, after a year, you know, it's kind of, you know, you hear this a lot, you know, in this profession, well, you just can't really, can't really describe it to you until you go through it, you know, and obviously, you know, the 
75 game honoring the people who died in the plane crash against Lottac this year. I mean, that's that's a that's a coaching memory like that I'll I'll never ever forget, and I'll cherish it and being part of that because again, it, it's I mean, it's just it's it's unbelievable. It's very eerie to talk about and be a part of it, but uh, but again, really really excited to to be here. Uh, had a great year last year, and obviously hoping to continue to build on the success we had last year this year. Well, you, you answered all my questions about kind of the, the history tradition part and what it is to be a part of that. And as I mentioned, we have some questions. The beauty of technology, right? Put out last night that, that you're coming on the podcast, and I have questions from uh, three coaches here, about a, a dozen questions or so. And uh, we'll start with the tight ends coach from Army, Matt Drinkall, sent along some questions. And, you know, if you know Matt at all, of course, there's going to be some football in there, but then there's going to be a some questions that are non-football related and even off the wall. And so that's what we'll start with. He says, what's it like working for a coach with the best name? Well, I will say this. There is there is only one Doc Holiday, and it is definitely, it, it rolls off the tongue. I'm a huge, obviously, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, dad was, uh, you know, watching all those, you know, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone, you know, so obviously I'm a big Doc Holiday historically, <laughs> fan as well you know but uh you know it is it is pretty cool um you know again you got some of those guys and you know doc's been doing this a long time you know he's been at some really successful places nc state west virginia you know coach of florida with Urban meyer um and you know he's been here and been really successful here you know and again this place is it's it's got some unique characteristics about it you know doc's a west virginia guy he's a just you know just you know very carries himself that way you know i think he's proud to be from this place this is a very blue collar state i mean you're in ohio you you understand you're from i mean ohio's the same way you know very very blue collar people very you know people that are proud of you know their their tradition here is of hard work and of people that you know made something out of nothing you know i think doc kind of you know he wants our program to have that kind of mentality and you know the kind of kids we recruit here at marshall you know we get some kids with some with some, some humble backgrounds, you know, and I think that kind of, that's why it's a fit here uh, for these kids is they kind of get the opportunity to come here. And, and uh, again, it, it is a unique situation to have a head coach with, with a name with such a historical tie to it for sure. So. Yeah, definitely. What, what's it like in, in, uh, I mean, you have the history and tradition. And so when you come to a place like Marshall, you, you absolutely can plug into that, but you know, every coach is going to build that culture. So you know, what, what's the, the culture, what's the, the, the pillars that really you guys build upon that, that doc has put in place? Well, you know, whenever, you know, I first got here, you know, obviously last spring around, you know, this, this a little bit before uh, this time a year ago, you know, it's just, you know, these kids take, you know, a lot of pride and this, and our staff and this program takes a lot of pride on, you know, that, that we're going to outwork people. I think, you know, kind of just where we're at, you know, this is a, again, like I said, I mean, this is a, this is a very blue collar part of the world, you know, and I think that these people, you know, we want to kind of carry that same edge with our players, you know, and that no one is going to outwork us. No one is going to be tougher than us. And I think that's something that we kind of really try to carry a little more of an old school mentality, uh, just in just everything, you know, in the day-to-day operations, whether it be ball practice, um, whether it be, you know, just kind of how we prepare things. And you know, I think obviously coaches, you know, carried, you know, a lot of the, ways that he's been as a head coach is carried from, you know, obviously working for coach Meyer. And, you know, again, there's a lot of, you know, we all are the same way, you know, hopefully someday if I'm, whenever I'm a head coach, you know, I'm going to have, you know, pulled things from each each head coach and each coach that I've been around, you know? And so I think it's kind of, he's kind of made his own path 
but I, I think definitely think there's some, you know, carryover from some of the places he's been and some of the head coaches he's coached with. But, you know, again, our, our number one deal, you know, with our kids all the time is just, you know, we're, we're going to be tougher than the people we play. And, you know, again, that kind of, that chip on your shoulder edge, you know, that we want to have with our players, you know, I think is something that has obviously been kind of a staple in this place uh, long before I got here. And obviously it'll be in place, you know, as long as, as Doc's the head coach. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, again, when you think about schools, sometimes regionally, man, it just fits with who who are these people and what are they doing? I think the hard work mentality just, like you said, fits with where you guys are at and where you want to go with things. So we'll jump back to uh, another question here from Coach Drinkle, and uh, he asks, what is something you're doing well in the red zone that other people should be doing? You know, in the red zone has is, is, is kind of become, you know, that was something last year before I got here, that was a, a big point of contention for us offensively. And, and we put a lot of time into researching that and really kind of just making an emphasis of that. Um, I think it's, you know, s- situational football, you know, you hear about, I mean, people talk about Belichick all the time and, you know, they go through such a in-depth look at situations and games and situational football, you know, but, you know, we talk about it a lot, you know, here just, you know, offensively, you know, is that we need to score touchdowns in the red zone. And, you know, we improved that drastically from 2018 to this last season in 2019. And I think it's just, you know, you got to know who your opponent is. I think you got to, you know, to me, personnel in the red zone is such a big deal because, you know, if you're playing an opponent that you can physically impose your will on, you know, you can do some different things. You know, we have our goal line short yards package, um, that we do here, I absolutely, you know, we call it our full house package. You know, I absolutely love what we're doing schematically there. Um, I think that last year we were at a 90% touchdown rate when we were in our full house package in the goal line short yardage. Um, so that was, again, you, you hear stats and guys say, oh, we were really good in the goal line short yardage. Well, what's the, what's the, 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 excuse me, the statistical analysis to verify that you know that's you know it's just conjecture if you don't have hard data to, sh- to back that up you know we were 90 percent touchdowns when we were in our full house package now, i think it's just you know certain teams are have certain philosophies down there you know i think it's you know kind of a an area that guys sometimes you know get a little bit scared to to, to be aggressive um, because you know especially down there you know it's it's you know you throw an incomplete pass well it's second and ten now we're worried about, oh, is the field goal kicker got the distance to do this and handle this? You know, lucky for us, you know, last year our, our kicker was the, the special teams MVP of the conference in Conference USA, you know, so it was uh, Justin provided us a little bit more of a of a, of a safety net there, you know. But, uh, you know, for us, you know, I think, again, just the, the ability to, to run the football and also to make, make the defense defend all 11 players. You know, I think quarterback run game is huge in that area of the field um, because, again, you know, there's going to be – if they're a high uh, a high blitz operation down there, you know they want to heat you up. You got to be able to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and you got to be able to make some one-on-one plays. You know, if they're a softer, more hey, we're going to drop eight, play zone, you know, drop seven, you know, that red zone kind of, you know, kind of picket fence, if you will, defense. I mean, you know, you got to be able to run the run the football and run the quarterback, in my opinion. And uh, we we had a good combination of that this year. Um, you know, Isaiah did a really good job for us, and we did some just. Again, some different window dressings to kind of do some similar schemes, you know, but I think obviously, you know, having the ability to run the quarterback in that area of the field, I think was big in our success last year, uh, being able to, you know, have some have some key possessions in, in those possessions and touchdowns in the red zone. So, Coach, with your full house package, and, and especially as it re- relates to your position group, how many of those guys who are, are getting on the field in, in, in that package are 
are your guys or, or the tight end guys? Well, you know, last year, to be totally honest with you, last year, in my opinion, was as close to a close to us from a personnel standpoint that we I, I can relate to as a, as a coach as being in the high school level. And what I mean by that is, you know, you guys don't recruit your players. You know, you, you got what you got, you know, and sometimes you may have a really athletic offensive line in the high school level. So we're going to do some more, you know, move the pocket. You know, we're going to run some, some, some schemes, to some misdirection and get guys on the run on the perimeter and utilize the speed of our, your offensive line. You know, for us last year, it was, we had some injuries early on in the receiver room and, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, I was, we were very blessed when I got here, you know, my room is, Obviously, outside of the, the people in the room, you know, I was very blessed with the guys that were in the room were also just so happened to be really talented, too. And, you know, it was kind of you know, Armani Levias, number 15, for, you know, the people who have watched this play or seen our film. Um, you know, Armani's the big 6'4 and a half, 6'5, 255 pounds, just really, really good athlete, kind of a new school hybrid guy, if you will. And he, he was, he gives the ability to kind of flex him out in space. Um, I got a, converted or really two converted quarterbacks in my room uh, Xavier Gaines was a four-star big time dual threat quarterback prospect coming out of high school so he's a guy that actually in that full house package we split him out as the single receiver at the X to be able to throw him some some fade balls and just kind of go up and, and DNA some guys and the, the other like I said the other guys in the room you know I got some just just kind of do you know dirty work guys you know Devin Miller is another kid I have that's just a no, number 83 is a do-it-all right guy. He's a Jersey kid, tough. You know, he's, if I'm in a dark alley, I'm probably going to give him a call to come help me out, you know, because he's just, he's that throwback guy. And really personnel-wise, you'd say, technically, you'd probably say 14 personnel is what I'd say if you want to put it, you know, the, the letter of the law on it. Uh, we do sub a sixth offensive lineman to be the on-the-ball tight end in that package. So we'll have, you know, we have the ability to have another tight end out there. But last year, really before I got here the year before in 2018, um, there wasn't a really on the ball guy that they loved back there or, or loved out there in that situation to do with the things we're doing. So we added another offensive lineman out there just to kind of, again, from a personnel standpoint, you know, what are we doing? You know, who is that guy? What are we trying to do with it? And uh, it's fun, you know, and last year was a challenge as a coach, you know, again, I mean, there was, you know, several games last year, you know, our third down package was in 13 personnel, you know, weren't open trips or two by two and, we're in 13 personnel and you're traveling four and you're hoping somebody doesn't bust a shoelace or catch a cramp, you know, cause uh, that could uh, severely uh, damage your, your game plan at times with some of the stuff we had going, you know, but, but that was, again, one of the reasons I talked about earlier, I wanted to come, come, come here and, and get back with Tim, you know, because, you know, that freedom to do that stuff and that trust that he has that I'll get my guys ready to perform at the level that we need them to, I think was, again, that was a big draw why I came here, you know, and I think, you know, again, last year was just, it was a blast, you know, because as a tight ends coach, you know, you know, I, my background being an offensive line guy per se, you know, um, that the the skill stuff is something that, you know, I've had to really grow as a coach and develop myself as, you know, and to be in those situations with those guys last year, you know, was, was a lot of fun to get to do all that neat skill guy, if you will, stuff with those guys uh, last year as well. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, when I, I started at the college level, my first year as a quarterback's coach and, we were 10 and 11 personnel, basically. And, you know, the next year I, I took over as the OC and we wanted to create more gaps. We wanted to be able to insert more blockers. And so our tight end group became a very exciting place to be. And, and we needed it because we had a lot of quarterbacks, you know, we'd bring in who would we'd recruit or the bigger receivers and those guys would become tight ends. But 
you know, being able to use the personnel you talked about, 14 personnel. I love that. We actually coached one time used 15 personnel. And you ask, how do you get 15 personnel? Well, we took the quarterback off the field. And it was just a wildcat. And we had, we had uh, five tight ends in the game. And it was uh, just a lot of fun for those guys. And you talk about like the pride those guys try start taking in it. And, and just the, the problems it starts to cause for a defense with those extra gaps, especially if they've been built to stop 10 and 11. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's the system is in place here offensively. It doesn't matter what the personnel group is. The offense is the offense. You know, I think that's just kind of along the lines of what you're saying, you know, and, I, and I, it's very, it's ironic. You said that, you know, when we do our, our wildcat package, you know, Xavier Gaines, again, with his background and his speed, I mean, he's a probably true laser four five ish guy at six, two and a half, 230 pounds, you know, so our wildcat package X is back there at quarterback, you know, so it's funny you, you said that, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a way, it's a way to, you know, again, to not being a full speed, go a million miles an hour tempo offense to be able to keep uh, putting pressure on a defense based off of personnel and what bodies are on the field, you know, cause we do have the ability with those guys to get nitty gritty and get in heavier sets and, and get downhill and run the football. And then on the very next snap, we could be an empty, and you got you got three tight ends out there. Okay, well, you know, what are we doing? You know, and it's just even some of those better cover guys that are out there from an athleticism standpoint, it's just, you know, it's it's the old saying, you know, in football, I mean, big people beat up on little people. You know, it is what it is. You know, Armani went out there last year and, you know, he just at times he just bullied kids, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, is that an every year thing? Is every year am I gonna have a guy in the room that can do that? Boy, I sure hope so, because I was a much better coach last year with Armani and X, and those guys knew what they did. Um, but, uh, but again, it's just how can you create some mismatches and how can you, you know, again, put people in conflict, you know, because, you know, those corners, they love that 180-pound wideout lining up out there. You know, they, they, go, they go be a tough guy. You know, all those corners are all tough guys until you put somebody out there bigger and stronger than them, and then they kind of take a look back and realize, oh, boy, this is uh, this is what I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to save Coach Drinkle's change-up question for, for the end of his set, but sticking with uh, some football things, so what do you like versus rush three, drop eight? And it is, you know, that's something that I've found, you know, in, in helping out a high school team here locally. We saw more and more of that this year. And, I mean, I could tell you, like, I hardly ever saw that for the longest time. And it seems like rush three, drop eight became something. So what do you like versus that? To be honest with you, you know, it's it's funny, you know, I think football as with anything is, is cyclical. And, you know, nowadays you're seeing so much more three down just because of the variations in personnel you can put defensively, you now variations in pressures um, and, and different coverages. Obviously, you can play out of that stuff because of the, the different humans on the field. I know, especially in high school, you know, how many times you have four defensive linemen that you think are go daddies that we got to put out on the field. You know, a lot of times in high school, you may only have two, you know, so you, know, you got to have the ability to change who your, your, your personnel is on the field. And, you know, to me, I think, you know, it's funny you say that it reminds me back, um, you know, when Tim and I were together at Sam Houston in 2017 and it was, you know, Stephen F. Austin's DC was a, was a three, three stat guy. And, you know, we're sitting here, we had all this great concepts in the past game and we could throw, I mean, Jeremiah Briscoe was, already won the Walter Payton award was on and that season was going to win his second Walter Payton back to back. And, you know, we're, we're thinking about all this great stuff we can do through the air. And I'm like, you know, Tim and I are sitting there and finally like, man, like, what are we doing guys? Like, let's just hand the football off, <laughs> you know? And I think people are so concerned about the ability to spread the ball around and throw it 
like, you know, sometimes as football coaches, like, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't forget what's right in front of you right here. There's, there's, there's three humans on last scrimmage and we have five, you know, at worst, you know, and if you're, if you like, we are here and like we were at Sam Houston, you're going to have six to seven blockers at times. So, you know, let's, let's make them do something they don't want to do. You know, let's make them add people to the mix and, and get more people on the last scrimmage. And then there's a reason people are doing this stuff. You know, they're, they're trying to compensate for something, you know, and I think that's, you know, in their mind, they'd rather, well, if they just run the ball, maybe we can kind of get them to, to get out of their comfort zone or get frustrated and, and then make a mistake and try to throw it into a bad situation. And it's like, Hey man, just, just stay the course hand the ball off and, and run it, you know, be physical, get downhill, you know? And I think that game that we, in 2017, I mean, we were, you know, the most prolific offense in the FCS that year. And then sure enough, you know, in that game, we, we ran the ball for almost 300 yards and it was kind of like, Oh boy, this, this is a, this is cool. You know, we can do this too, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Coach, and one more football-related question for you. And it's funny because I talk to defensive guys all the time about how do you guys create turnovers. I don't know if I've asked an offensive guy this, but what do you do to limit turnovers? You know, we've done some different things and everywhere I've been. You know, that's kind of a, a big, you know, sticking point for, for Doc here. You know, obviously Doc doesn't call any plays. He's not, you know, he's the true head coach here. So, that's kind of his main sticking point, you know, during offensive practice, if the ball's on the ground or if the ball is intercepted, um, that, that player's out and he's, he's subbed immediately. You go to the sideline, you do some, you know, you do some up downs, hold the football. And then after practice, there's, there's, there's punishment for it, you know, cause again, you know, it's, you know, that's, there's no bigger issue offensively. You know, you, you can do a lot of great things, but if you lose the turnover margin on offense, you know, you're going to have a hard time winning the game. And obviously you, you mentioned it, defensive guys, that's all they talk about is creating turnovers. How can we, you know, how can we be more prolific getting the ball back to our offense and then creating turnovers, you know, just from the sheer momentum of it. You know, uh, one thing I love, you know, whenever I was at Sam Houston with coach Fritz and I'm, I'm, I haven't been to a two lane practice, but I'm sure they're still doing it. Um, we, you, you had to, you had to hand the football to everyone. So at a football practice with us, there was never a ball getting thrown to the manager or, flipping the ball. I mean, it was, you caught the ball in pass scale, you turn and you exploded up field. And then you found a manager, you jogged it over and you handed it to him. And as a coach, if you, you know, the kid was going to flip you a ball, whether it's a drill, whether it's a team period, you just slap it on the ground. I mean, that, that, that's just, you have to instill that with the kids that it's a constant, something that they're thinking about, you know, and you, it, with all things, kid, you know, kids in general, let alone athletes in general, you're going to get what you emphasize, you know, and if you make it a really big deal, to take care of the football offensively, typically, you know, as, as you know, your, your kids are going to understand that, you know, and obviously I've never coached a quarterback, nor do I really care to <laughs> um, nowadays, but uh, you know, that guy, obviously, you know, he's, he's on the front of the media guy for the reason, you know, so, you know, you, you got to do a great job with that guy, just helping him make good decisions and putting him in position that he's not having to, to, to make too many high risk throws or high risk decisions to put him or the team in harm's way because he's turning the ball over. And I think that's something that you want your guy aggressive. You want him confident, but you also got to have some understanding like, Hey man, you know, you got, you got the fate of the entire team in your hands every time you take a snap, you know? So you got to make sure that guy understands the importance of that. And, you know, I think it's, you know, kids are, kids are prideful. You know, they, they don't want to make mistakes. They want to, they want to do right. And, you know, I think, you know, again, you got to find that happy medium, you know, for you and your program is, you know, what, what can I do to, to curb this, you know, whether it's, you know, again, quarterback making bad decisions in the past game or, you know, running backs putting the ball on the ground. And again, anything when it comes to coaching, 
look at yourself first. Okay. If I got a running back that is putting the ball on the ground a lot, obviously I have not coached him well enough on how to carry the football the right way. Okay. Now, if you are coaching him the right way, you are watching the film, you are drilling that and the kid's still doing that. Well, maybe we got the kid in the wrong spot. You know, maybe it's time for him to go play linebacker or DB or put him in a position where he can be successful, you know, and, Obviously, that's speaking more on the high school level and college. You know, if you're recruiting a kid to play running back and he's putting the ball on the ground, then that's that's more on the, on the evaluation and the recruiter than anything. You know, but but again, just got to kind of just make make it a big deal, make it a really big priority that it's something that's important to you, it's important to the kids, and it's something that your program's about because then then obviously you're going to get the results you want. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective and really taking the responsibility as a coach and. I think it took me some time in my career, you know, early on to, to realize that, like, you know, you have to look at yourself always, you know, you might get frustrated with that kid, but really both of those things you mentioned, uh, option A, we got to, we got to work it better. I didn't coach it better enough or option B, I put him in the wrong place. Those are both on the coach. And, and so I think when you take an approach to that, you're always going to find a way to make your player better. Even if it means moving that guy to a different position. Well, again, I think at the end of the day, kids want, to do right. They want to be successful. They want to, they want to do what's best for the team. So, you know, it's just like, you know, sometimes coaches and, and guys get all frustrated with kids and it's like a personal thing. Like, like, Oh, he, he fumbled it. And you're, you're like, you don't think the kids crushed about fumbling it. You don't think that he's embarrassed coming over the sideline with his teammates, you know, putting their heads down and, and the people in the fans boot. You know I mean, like there's enough, there's enough on the kid, you know, and I think a lot of times too, you know, even especially in my opinion with the quarterback, or even in, in the kicking game as it relates to a kicker, like you got to manage those situations the right way, you know, cause now, you know, I'm a, I'm a big golfer, you know, in the limited time that we have off um, it's, it's like the yips in golf, you know, you start putting it in the kid's mind and you start making it more than, Hey, there's a technique flaw. We got to get it fixed. I'm gonna help you get it fixed, you know, and, and, and kind of pump the kid up, you know, you're going to, you're going to build something bigger than it is, you know, and the kid, the kid didn't want to put it on the ground. You know, he, he's, he's, he's as upset about it as you are. So let's, let's understand that. Let's move on and let's figure out again, starting inwardly, how can we, how can I fix it to help them get better? And then obviously if it's something that's an issue that you can't get fixed with technique or with, with coaching, then obviously we've got this kid in the wrong position. We've got to help him be successful. Absolutely. Well, I'll have to follow up with, uh, Coach Will Hall over at Tulane when when he comes on and talks with us, and I'll ask him if uh, Coach Fritz has him doing those things still, which I, I'm sure the answer is yes. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a big bet guy, but I would bet <laughs> a lot of money that, that that is still going on in, in New Orleans as we speak. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, last last one here, a little bit of a change up for you from Coach Drinkall. What's your favorite podcast? You know, I think sometimes you know we get super stimulated and super excited about like what pertains to us, you know, when it comes to football, obviously, you know, when, after you reached out, I've listened to, I've listened to Matt's, um, I've listened to some other ones. I'm going to continue to listen to, to the stuff you're putting out, you know, Brady Waltz and Rowdy Harper. I, you know, I recruited Oklahoma my whole time when I was at Sam Houston and uh, those guys uh, put on the run the power podcast. I, I love what those guys are about. Very grassroots, very just honest guys, uh, really good, good people. And I uh, love their content. Um, they kind of go all over the, the spectrum. It's not just about, you know, all at times. It's, you know, there's some fun stuff with it, too. And I think those guys, Rowdy and, and Brady, do a great job. And then I, I'm, a, I'm a Joe Rogan guy. You know, I think Joe Rogan's kind of he's, – he's a little bit out of left field on some things. Um, I, again, I think his, his podcast is kind of – it stimulates some creative thought and some perspectives on some things that, you know, us as coaches don't always hear or see. Um, you know, and, and honestly, you know, 
I, I personally, I'm, I'm in the podcast game a little bit, but I'm really trying to just truly, you know, as, as of, you know, some recent transgressions, you know, our, our defense coordinator, Brad Lambert talks a lot of, to, you know, when he has opportunity to talk to the team and to our staff, you know, about trying to just actually, you know, read and, you know, find some different authors and some different things that interest you. And I'm trying to, improve myself in that capacity of things. You know, we kind of, we get our routine, we come home from work, we sit on the couch, we flip on the TV and kind of veg out a little bit, you know, and I'm trying to personally improve myself a little bit more and do some more reading when I have some free time. And Ryan Holiday is a guy that I'm really into right now. Um, you know, he's got uh, the uh, uh, ego is the enemy and also is uh, the obstacles, the way or the two that I've read. I haven't got to read his third book. I'm still, this is the key, but uh, if you're a coach, if you're uh, if you're a person that wants to improve themselves, what again, it doesn't really matter what walk of life you're in. His stuff is, 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 is very good. It's very, very easy to read. It's very, very inspiring. And a lot of his stuff is, is, is something I'm really into right now. I'm looking forward to reading his third book here uh, during our social disengagement period we're in right now. <laughs> well, I, I'm with you there too. I actually don't listen to, many football podcasts to check in with them every now and then i listen to i have our 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 producer our intern always puts together a highlight show at the end of the week that's the one i'll listen to and those guys always do a phenomenal job with it and other than that though it's things outside i listen to a lot of business podcasts leadership podcasts i love you know the stuff that tim and brian kite did those those things were great and then yeah i'm i'm getting back into reading as as well i think i've made it part of every day so for me it's all i'm kind of that multimedia right if i have a a ride that's over 15 minutes i'm usually popping in a podcast so you know i, I have to travel to indy once a month that's a five hour commute and i fill that up with podcasting and everything goes so quick but uh the reading part of it i i agree to is is something and i know uh here in our house with this shutdown there's there's going to be a lot of reading going on as well so our next set of questions is from scoop reed and, and scoop is the nfl minority fellowship for the buffalo bills and his first question, actually, these next two coaches have a lot of tight end-based questions. He wants to know how much work you do with your tight end with the pass in the run game. You know, I kind of go back to, you know, uh, when I worked at Sam Houston with Coach Fritz. Uh, you know, we were kind of more Nevada-style, Kaepernick, read zone, triple gun, pistol. So, really, we were more glorified alignment fullbacks you know so obviously I was putting a great opportunity as a young coach to be successful because of my background in the offensive line world to really coach those guys at a high level you know and we weren't really a huge part of the pass game outside of some play action concepts and some different things you know so I didn't really have to grow as a school coach um, and then you know when coach uh, Keeler got hired at Sam and Phil Longo came in as our OC you know I, I've told Phil this and I've told a lot of people this, you know, I, I grew a ton as a football coach in the skill part of the game uh, from, from learning in the offense and, and learning how to coach within that system with Phil. And, you know, I, obviously I grew a ton, you know, just from understanding drop back concepts, understanding, you know, just, just coverages and the things that the quarterback sees. And, you know, that helped me a ton, you know, during that time of my career. And, you know, obviously, you know, the thing I joke about all the time, it's just like, you know, kids love Pascal, right? All the tight ends, all the receivers, everybody loves Pascal. We went out there and said, hey guys, 
we're canceling Pascal today. They'd be they'd be throwing helmets down and, and, and pouting around, you know. I mean, they all want to do that, right? Because that's that's what the world, especially kids nowadays in high school level. I mean, that's what these kids are doing in the off season. It's these travel seven on seven teams, and and that's not real football. Uh, that's that's to me. I, I I'm very anti uh, seven on seven just from a just from a from a football standpoint. You know, we see all the time. You know, I was used to joke, you know, Pascal. You're seeing all these zone coverages and all these things and some other places I've been. As soon as you get into full 11 on 11 team, you know, we're, we're in man to man, we're getting zone pressures and all this stuff. I'm like, well, we didn't do any of that in Pascal, you know, so it's like, okay, so we just got all this, well, we got 24 reps or something we're not going to see ever. And then we get the team and it's, you know, it's bombs over Baghdad, you know, so it's like, okay. So, um, you know, for me in the pass game, you know, I spend more time in the run game as far as individual, I'm just in my personal opinion. That's such a repetition-based technique, footwork, hand placement, body posture. Those things to me are stuff that the room that I'm in right now is much more of a skill-oriented room. And I think it's you've got to know who your personnel is. You know, I told I, whenever I, we we had the undertaking last year of putting my guys in more true open sets and doing more skill-related things in the offense. You know, I also didn't want to hamstring those guys because that's there's a reason they're here. There's a reason that they're special with the ball in their hands because they have an innate ability to do some of those things in space and skill things that I don't need to overcoach, you know, and again, some of that stuff, you know, there are some finite things in the route concepts and use of hands within the route at the top of the route that I do spend, I spend time with my guys on and coach, you know, but you know, if, if, you know, in modern college football, your, your individual time, especially as a tight end is so limited, you know, because we're, we're on every special team, we're in Pascal, we're doing all these different things. So it's like, you got to segment the things that are of, of the most importance and the things that will suffer the most if we're not doing them daily. And a kid's not going to forget how to run a corner route if we didn't run a corner route an individual. Okay. He, he will forget, Oh, now what's my footwork and what's my technique on this run concept or this block based on the front. Okay. So those are the things that to me, I feel like if I'm going to overkill something, I'm going to overkill the run game slash protection piece. And then obviously in practice and in the meetings, spend a little more time on the, the conceptual piece and the technique of the, of the pass game. And to sit here and tell you that I don't, I don't work on the pass game at all with my guys, that's not true. I, I segment it and find the time to do it. But if I have, let's say, five individual periods, at least three, maybe four of them will be run game specific technique and coaching and then one of them being more of a route technique slash ball skills type drill. And, and I think also that stems from it's about legs. You know, I mean, you can't, my guys are 250 pounds, you know, so, you know, you can't run five miles with those guys and then, you know, go down the inside run and, and beat the crap out of each other. And then, all right, guys, Hey, we're going past scale. Let's go run around for 20 minutes. It's like, Ooh, you know, you gotta, you gotta monitor the movement of your guys, you know, and I think the run game stuff is not as expensive from a leg standpoint, the fatigue standpoint, but you're getting quality coaching and things that are obviously pay big dividends for you. You know, you got to be mindful of, especially in season of not just crushing your guys all, all through individual to where by the time team comes around or, you know, the, the important teaching moments come around, they're so fatigued that you're not getting anything out of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I think about, how we used our tight ends at, at Baum Wallace uh, University and, you know, kind of a, as you described it, it reminded me a lot of the, the guys we had. And, you know, those guys were athletic. They're going to go and catch passes. And, you know, so we didn't necessarily have to work a ton on that. And, and the other thing structurally is we tried to take 
the decision-making part on routes out of it for him. So for example, like on our four verts, we were always going to start with him and his decision basically was, I'm going to turn and look for the ball because I'm in the seam or I'm going to, I'm going to run this quarters, you know, guy over the top of me off. I mean, very simple kind of stuff so that, because hey, decision making and being able to make that on the move—that's a lot of time on task, and we would rather use that in the run game. You know that time in the run game. So I, I agree with that philosophy 100%. Well, moving on, Coach Coach Scoop Reed here knew a little bit about your background. He said your dad and your brother are basketball coaches. How much basketball technique do you use in coaching the tight end? You know, it's funny you say that. I think anything you can do to can to verbalize and coaching cues or buzzwords with your kids, I think is something that is, you know, is, is big, you know, and I think the tight end position has just evolved to, you're not recruiting necessarily a guy who's played tight end his whole life. You know, at, at least the places I've coached that six, five, 255 pound kid that can run, put his hand in the dirt, block one back power. He, he ain't playing for coach Siegler. He's going, he's going to play at Penn state or he's going to play at, at, you know, Alabama, you know, I don't, I don't have those guys, you know, so all my guys historically have been multi-sport kids. You know, I've been kids who have played baseball, played basketball. And I think, you know, just all sports in general are about understanding body positioning and, you know, how to utilize that to being successful to execute an assignment. And although per se, the game of basketball and football are different, I think, you know, obviously being, you know, growing up in a gym and being, being a basketball coach's kid, you know, blocking you know on the perimeter blocking you know in certain times in the tight end world even in line is about space it's about understanding positioning you know and you know if i'm playing basketball you know and i'm playing defense it's my job to stop you from getting to the basket you know it's the same difference if i'm the tight end and i'm in the slot and i'm blocking a nickel sam and we're running inside zone well it's my job to position myself and block you in a position that i would if you were trying to you know in a sense go to the basket in basketball you know and i think you know understanding that, that body position. And uh, it's funny, we were watching cutups as a staff not too long ago. You know, there was a time that, you know, one of my guys got in a bad position and I teach the, I teach the, the kind of the, the Oh crap moment, you know, blockout technique, you know? So, I mean, Hey, I, I've got whatever may happen. My feet got crossed up. I'm in a bad position. Well, nobody said, if you're not blocking them, you know, face mask to face mask with hands of the breastplate, that, that that's going to be a, a, a non-productive block, you know? And when my guys literally blocked out, a defensive end and we, we had about an eight yard game, you know, on the C gap cut back on inside zone, you know? So it's funny how I, I've, I've learned in this business, it's so much about production and it's all about that's, that's at the end of the day, what is, what, what gets your guys on the field is production. So yeah, I can sit here and not until I'm blue in the face and tell you about how I lose sleep over the fact that, you know, this guy's technique's not where it needs to be in that play. That technique wasn't great, but at the end of the day, dude, did he block the guy he's supposed to block? Did he run the route he's supposed to run? Yeah, okay, well, if that stuff's not perfect, then what am I doing all day as a coach? You know, I'm supposed to have things that I can get him better and coach him at, you know, so I think some of those techniques, you know, and, and things, you know, and understanding of the game and of sports and basketball has definitely helped as a football coach, for sure. Last question from Scoop Reed is, uh, what's the DNA for your tight ends? I know you talked a lot about it, these guys being athletes, but if, if you'd say – you know, here's here's really the characteristics of, of who these guys are. What would you say that is? You know, I think if you're if you're perfect world, if you're talking about like I'm going to go out and seek a kid or recruit a kid, to me, you have to have football savvy, and they've got to they've got to be able to think on the on the on the fly. Um, outside of the quarterback position, and I get you know I, I'm a huge believer in this in modern football. Outside of the quarterback, 
in the college level and in the pros, in my opinion, the guys who have the most adapting on the run and thinking on the run are the tight ends. And you've got to know run game principles and run game technique. You've got to know pass protections and pass protections uh, technique. You got to also be able to run routes. Okay. Now, you know, again, the, the quarterback's got a lot on him mentally. Okay. But at the end of the day, he's still catching a snap and throwing the ball or catching the snap and handing it off. Okay. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, those guys that are non fluid thinkers and they're very over analytic to me struggle at the tight end position because it's awesome to sit in the meeting room and draw stuff on the board where those circles and X's ain't moving. But as soon as you get out there and bolts start flying, you know, things change, you know, and I think that's, one of the things I, I thought this group did last year, I did a great job with. I've had some really good groups in my past of in-game adjustments based off of what we're seeing. And if you're a guy who can't adapt because you're robotic and because you're not a fluid thinker, um, I think that struggles. You know, those guys struggle to be successful and productive players. Um, again, at the end of the day, we can sit here and say, you know, you know, toughness and all that stuff. And I'm a big believer in all that stuff. But, you know, to me, guys that are, are good movers, good vendors, I think are, is a, is a big, a big part of being successful at that position because you do have to do different things. Um, typically your bigger, stiffer guys, it's hard to do the pass game stuff and some of the run game stuff. It's just a struggle. Um, so, you know, for me, for DNA, I just want to, I want a, a dynamic athlete who has some, some football savvy and intelligence. And, you know, if you've got guys that, that have those two characteristics, typically you're going to have the opportunity for them to be pr productive. You know, I steer a little bit away from, you know, a lot of times guys, and again, this is just me personally, you know, sometimes guys get all caught up in these always got to be, you know, from six, three to six, seven height measurables and all that kind of crap. I, I don't believe that. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a production guy. Turn on the film. Is the kid a good player? Does he have good production as a player? whatever position he's playing. Cause again, I don't get to watch the tight ends all the time. You know, I'm evaluating option quarterbacks. I'm evaluating three, four outside linebackers. I'm evaluating, you know, kids that play outside receiver, you know, and is he, is he an outside receiver that's can run straight line, but he can't change direction. He can't, he can't run in cutting routes. He can't change direction, stick his foot in the ground. You know, so again, to me, sometimes those real long, tall guys struggle with certain aspects of the game, you know, and yeah, you can throw them a go ball and they can go jump up and sometimes cut, jump up and catch it, but they're going to get knocked back because that defensive end that they're going against is six, two and a half and they're six, seven, you know, so leverage. Yeah. They've got longer arms and longer, longer, you know, levers, but unless they're, you know, I haven't seen many six, seven guys who are really good, strong, big, strong guys, you know, that can bend as well, you know? So I think you kind of got to find just what fits you, you know, if us, what fits what you're looking for, you know, cause at the end of the day, I'm not just recruiting guys to play tight end for me. I'm recruiting guys that can be a body type that can play on special teams for us, that can be productive in those facets of the game as well. Yeah, you know, you had a, a question about basketball, and we had that one about DNA, and it reminded me of uh, a guest we had on the podcast here, Chris Manhurst, who plays for the Carolina Panthers, probably become one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL, and he didn't put on a helmet until his first day of NFL camp. He never played football in his life, went to Canisius College that didn't even have football. And it was one of those things, being in Buffalo, you know, somehow Jim McNally found him and passed him along to some guys to train him. And, uh, you know, and, and the rest is history. Now this, that guy's, you know, playing in the NFL. Um, but it's that, you know, that body type, that athleticism, same things you talked about there 
really that, you know, don't always get caught in the, the measurables or thinking that you're going to, you have to have that guy find that guy in a certain place. I mean, you probably remember this. If, if you went back, Oh, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, uh, there weren't a whole heck of a lot of teams in high school using tight ends anymore. And, you know, everybody had gone to the, the 10 personnel game. And so even recruiting those guys was tough. I mean, most of them you, you, you might find, you know, ended up as a defensive end or something like that on your defense. So, yeah, it's, they come from different places. But, you know, when you can find that guy and develop him, you know, with that athletic ability, now you have something that really causes a stress, especially, you know, as, as I think we're still in that era where a lot of teams start with, you know, instead of uh, used to be they'd have a pro set was the first thing drawn up in their defensive playbook and they would line it and adjust from that is now it starts with, you know, a two by two ten personnel. Sure. Well, I think it's, I'm a big believer too. Like, you know, again, in a, in a, from a collegiate standpoint, you know, those guys don't have bad habits, right? So this guy played quarterback his whole career. He's 6'3", 240 pounds. He can run really good with the ball in his hands. He has never mocked anybody. So obviously yeah. that's a little, little bit of a <laughs> scary those. thing as an evaluator, right. you know, but at the same time, if he's willing and he has the physical tools, there aren't any bad habits. You know, it's not, well, I got coached by this guy to do this. So this is how I like to do this. It's like, they're just a piece of clay, you know, and you can mold them however you want. And, you know, when the guys who are really athletic, who have those backgrounds, like the guy you were talking about, when they, when they do adhere to what you're coaching to do and they do buy into the techniques you're coaching, that's when it's like the, Oh my, like your eyes are open. You're like, Holy cow, look at this guy. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a believer in the game is so athletic. It is so changed on the defensive side of the ball. I think, you know, taking a, a defensive lineman who is not necessarily the twitchiest or best defensive line prospect, but he's got length, he's got great strength, and he has good movement skills. Well, that to me, if you're taking four offensive linemen in a class as a college program, I think one of those four should be one of those type guys. You should take an outer liar guy in that position room because those are the guys that if if they if you can develop them and you can teach them the position, the athletic tools they have are different than the people in the room with them. You know, offensive line traditionally is always the guys who've always played offensive line. They played offensive line since peewee football, high school, junior high, the whole deal. So when they come to college, it's years of I've been coached this way or years of, well, this is how I see the game and this is my perspective of it because I've been offensive line my whole life. When you get an, a defensive lineman who is long and athletic and twitchy and you flip them on the other side of the ball and you can coach them how to play that position – those are the guys that are the wow guys. Those are the guys, again, like I'm talking about with the tight end room of, those are the outer wire guys that if you can develop, those are the guys that are, you know, you can, you, and again, you can't have a room full of them. I'm not advocating that, you know, but at the same time, you take one or two of those guys, you know, the guy I always look to, like, and again, I know he played tight end, but when I was coming up, coming out of high school a little bit before me, you know, Eric Winston, you know, went to Midland Lee, played tight end. You know, he went to Miami to play tight end, you know, and after his second year in Miami, he played the left tackle. You know, he got bigger, he got stronger, carried the athleticism from the tight end position. And you see these guys in the combine every year that play offensive line. Well, he played tight end in college when he got there, and he's running 4'8 at the, at the combine at 330 pounds. Well, again, they're, we're trying to find ways to put more athletic people on the field in the big skill positions. It's no different in the O-line, D-line. You know, some of these guys, you see the transition the same way. You know, again, if you can develop, if I'm a guy that's that's interested in the, the best end product, give me the best DNA to start with. Yeah, if he doesn't have a bunch of bad habits, then I can get him better and develop him and make him into somebody special, hopefully. That's exactly it. Well, Coach, our last three questions come from Mitchell Shepard. He is 
the offensive coordinator, offensive line, and defensive line coach at Marysville High School in Kansas. And Coach, first question is, how do you utilize inline and offline tight ends? Uh, I think for us, I think it's, it's more of a philosophy. You know, again, to me, we can do on-the-ball tight end sets in our plays here in the offense that, that, that we have here at Marshall. Um, we really utilize more off-the-ball sets just because primarily the movement of my guys, um, we're going to shift, we're going to motion, we're going to do some different things. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's better to be in an off-the-ball set to do those things. And we do have the ability to get a little more traditional, two tight ends on the ball, YY, you know, wing set formations and things like that, which we do as well. But, you know, really for us, it's a little more off the ball um, just because, again, you know, we're doing so many different things in the run game and in the pass game. You know, it's just a little bit easier to execute those things from a consistent position. You kind of pigeonhole yourself schematically at times when your guy's on the ball, you know. So you kind of, to me, I kind of feel like when he's off the ball, we just have a little more freedom and a little more liberty to do some different things. And and guys are a little more comfortable with it. You know, I think it's person to person, player to player, but – you know, just us primarily in the place I've been, we've been a little bit more off the ball as far as our mentality with those guys. His next question, I think, is a good one. And again, thinking about, again, all the things that you ha- ask these guys to do. So what blocks do you ask your tight ends to execute? And uh, how do you teach those blocks? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're traditional in, in the run game. Um, we're going to run divide zone, going to kick the C-gap. We're going to cut off the C-gap. And we're going to insert block. And then, and then obviously we're going to, we're going to block on the perimeter. And I think all of those blocks carry different caveats as far as what are the things that make them pertinent. Um, I think before anything, I go back to holistically teaching the offense to my guys. And yeah, you know, I'm a big believer in the more you know, the better player you're going to be, the better uh, production you're going to have. And if I'm just teaching my guy, hey, you're going to cut off the C-gap on this play. And that's the last thing I tell him. And we go out there, all right, guys, let's, let's go get it done. It's going to be hard for him to understand why. And it's going to be hard for him to understand what techniques do I need to use to be successful to execute that. Okay. So are we, is there an RP associated with this run call? Is there, is it an auto give? Is there other things? Can the quarterback pull the football? I mean, there's, there's just so many factors that you got to coach holistically football in general. Okay. Cause again, I want my guys outside of the quarterback room, Again, I joke about it all the time. I mean, usually the, the brain brain power in the O-line room is usually the smartest one in the building, regardless of quarterbacks or not, okay? We can all agree to that, okay? Obviously, I'm biased because I played it. So, again, I, those are the smartest guys in the building. But I want my guys to be considered in that group of these guys know the offense in and out and, and know football better than anybody because we're asked to do so many different things, you know? So, you know, to me, I think it's about the skill set of the player. You know, I've got some guys in the past, you know, some of my – most productive players, you know, when I was at Sam Houston were six footers, 245 pound guys that were weight room freaks. So they could go, you know, ISO block and, and knock somebody's face mask off on ISO block or on split zone here. I've got more dynamic guys. You know, that's not, that's not how they're built. Um, you know, and that's these guys I'm, I'm teaching and using more techniques about athleticism and understanding how to bend and how to get in a position to still be physical but also utilize your technique and athleticism, you know, and I think it's also, you know, to me, it's so much more now about, you know, understanding, you know, what is the concept again, going back to that, you know, if, and the words of wisdom that I'll take with me, as long as I'm a tight ends coach and all the purest old school guys that the old school coaches even know what a podcast is that are listening to this, or they're going to, they're going to, you know, spit out their coffee is, 
my head coach at ULM, Matt Vitor, coached tight ends for a long time. And it's just a very, very intelligent and just ball coach that I admire a lot. And he told me when I first got to ULM, he said, Kyle, all I need is a tie. I kind of took a step back and I was kind of like just dumbfounded. Like, what do you mean you need a tie? Like, I want knockdowns. I want, I want guys standing over guys, you know, who just put them on their back. You know, and you just got that, that macho O-line football guy feeling about coaching the tight ends. He's like, dude, that ain't what this is about, man. Like, just get a tie. Like, I'm not asking you to take the defensive end and put him on his head. I'm t- I want you to cut off the C-gap, block the defensive end. So when the back cuts back, your guy isn't the guy that's making the tackle. You know, and it's like once – that perspective was dropped on me. Like it doesn't stop how I coach them from an aggression standpoint. It doesn't, it doesn't stop me from getting excited if they do those things, you know, being physical and, you know, putting people on the ground. But at the same time, you know, like, like get the macho Rambo stuff out of here. You know what I mean? Like just is the kid being productive, you know, cause again, you're not going to find, I haven't had the, 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 you know, the Tony Gonzalez that can, you know, run split zone, and then run four verts and run past people. You know what I'm saying? I got I got a guy that's really good at one or really good at the other, you know, or okay at both, you know, and I think that's what you got to find as a coach is, you know, if a kid's not great at ISO blocking guys, well, then let's quit putting him in a position to be to fail ISO blocking guys. You know, are there, is there other things we can do, you know, and if you've got guys like I got that can run and can catch and do some really special things, let's not put them in position to fail just because I want to bang my – my fist on the on the board and say well, we're, we're we're a split zone team. That's all we're going to run, guys. Is split zone. It's like, well, dude, these guys suck at that. So why why would we put them in position to do that? Now they're still going to be dirty work and kind of nitty gritty stuff you're going to have to do as a tight end. And I'm not advocating getting rid of that. Like I don't want my position group to be known as a skill group. Trust me, I want them to be I want them to be you know known as more of a physical you know you know blue collar position, not a skill guy, you know, but at the same time, you know, what blocks are we executing? I guess the long-winded answer is the ones that I know that they can be successful at executing. Well, last question for you, coach, and I think this is where it really gets fun for tight ends. So, how do you incorporate the tight end into your play action game and, you know, we always talk about uh play action, how it affects those dual responsibility defenders. I think You know, from my perspective, when you take a dual responsibility offensive person, I know that a receiver can block at any time, but I mean a guy who is going to go and be a part of the scheme in the box and then at the same time can end up, you know, on a route. That's the opportunity for big plays. And I think we saw a ton of that this year. You know, if you watch any of the Niners or, you know, watch McVay, watch LaFleur, all those guys kind of from the same tree, boy, do they really know how to use tight ends in the play action game. So how do you use tight ends? in play action. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, and there's not a college offensive coach in the country. I'd be shocked that they haven't watched the entire chief season to watch what Kelsey and bell are doing to watch the Niners, to watch Kittle and those guys, you know, so you're right. Um, in the sense of that is obviously at the highest level of football, that's become a huge, I mean, still it always has been and will always will be a huge part of that, that game at that level. But, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing to emphasize to, to, to my guys and, and to make that a part of your game is you have to be able to do the dirty work. And what I, I tell my guys, and they kind of give me that look like, well, what do you mean by that, coach? And I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to run nakeds, right, where you're going to split zone action, come across and catch the ball in the flat, if they're not concerned with you running split zone and defeating a C-gap defender and us handing the football off and running the ball downhill on people – that concept is is not worth anything. It's not good. It's not going to work, you know? So 
you know, if you can't run block and you can't be physical and make that something that teams have to defend, your play action game is irrelevant. And I think, you know, you know, there's obviously there's exceptions to the rule. There's some teams that are just okay to good at running the football that can be really good play action teams, but the best play action teams are the teams that can be physical and run the football. And I think that's why, you know, here at Marshall, you know, we, our running back was MVP of the league. You know, we ran, you know, coach, you know, Greg Atkins is our line coach. You know, he does a phenomenal job with those guys. And, you know, our, our we ran the football very prolifically this year. And I think that's something that, you know, you set yourself up to be more successful in that facet of the game if you can do those things. And I think also tight ends, you have to be a little bit, there's got to be some gamesmanship. I, I alluded to that earlier. You know, you got to be an actor, you know, and there's certain things that, you know, if we're running, you know, play action concepts where we got to block and release late or, or we're selling certain run game concepts to release on a route, you know, if you don't sell that with the same posture, same demeanor, same footwork you did in the run game, you know, although most guys on defense aren't as smart as the offensive guys, I know that's especially true for the coaches. Um, you know, I got a lot of defensive coaches uh, that are good friends of mine, so I like to remind them of that, you know, but you got you to gotta, you gotta fool those guys, you know, so you got you to gotta do a great job being an actor. And, again, those are some of the fun concepts because, you know, again, those are the ones that are the explosive plays. Those are the ones, you know, again, last year had several touchdowns to, to guys in my room because of concepts based off of our bread and butter run plays, you know, and I think that's – that is an attribute to the offensive line and our running backs. And obviously though, it's, it's, you know, my guys, you know, can, can, you know, hang their hat on that as well, that we made that stuff go and be productive for us as well. Because again, that's, that's the, that is the core, that is the, the root of play action concepts and the, the drop by game is, can you run the football? Can, can you, do you have to defend that as a defense? And if you have to do that, which you're going to have to, again, when you're playing us, you're going to have to defend the run then you're going to suffer some dire consequences on the back end and some play action stuff. And I mean, that's, that's what football is alluded to nowadays. I mean, it's so many times defensive coordinators are trying to get an extra hat. We want to get an extra fitter. We want to get an extra guy in the box. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, head coaches everywhere, you know, especially, you know, a couple of times last year, you know, it's like, you know, man, we're struggling to run the ball. Well, yeah. There's nine people in there. You know, we got, we got seven blocking. So, you know, it's, it's going to be some hard treading at times with some of that stuff, you know, but, that's where you have the ability now to create some, some gaps and some issues on the back end in the throw game, because you, again, people are so concerned about stopping that, that, you know, you, you, you can't do it all. You can't defend the pass all the time. You can't defend the run all the time. And that's what offensive coaches jobs are. You know, we got to utilize and understand our, you know, preparation against you to figure out, okay, here's the times when we need to take those shots. I do think times you, you got to be, you know, in my opinion, to, to make the, the, the poker analogy, you know, we started with the Doc Holiday question, you know, kind of end with one, you know, it's, you know, it's, you got to, you got to sometimes hold your cards a little bit, you know, you can't, we all get excited about certain play action concepts and things that we know are going to really hurt a defense, you know, but you can't, you can't go to the well too soon and you can't go to the well too often, you know, you got to, you got to hold some of those things and, you know, there's certain things that are staples in your offense and, certain play action shots, you got to find that right moment, that right time. Cause if you do hold your cards to the right moment, those are the ones that aren't just explosives, they're touchdowns. The last question here is, is from me and coach, you've, you talked about so many great things here today, but uh, for you as a coach, what's the one thing that gives your players the winning edge? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, it's, 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 it's love, man. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't bite my tongue on this. We're in a profession that a lot of these kids, you know, I got some, great stories of kids coming from great families and two parent households. And, you know, it, it, and they, they've come from 
great beginnings, but I've also coached some kids that come from some really rotten situations that don't have a male figure in their life, that don't have someone that they can trust um, to, to seek guidance from. And again, I, I, I've said this from the very beginning when I got into coaching. At the end of this deal, when I'm done coaching, if you say that I'm a rotten coach, I don't know scheme, I don't know X and O's, that's fine. But if you say that I didn't develop these kids as people and I didn't invest in them as people and love them, then I failed. And I think that's something to me that that's unfortunately in our business, especially my level, is, is a common lip service nowadays. It's really easy to say that stuff and really easy to make that something that's like a battle cry. But if you're not doing that and you're not putting time in with these guys and, and caring about them as people and hugging on them and telling them you love them, at the end of the day, these dudes play football for me to put food on the table for my family. And I never lose sight of that. And, and, that, and that to me is something that if you carry that with you and you believe that in your heart, um, the kids, that's, that, that is the winning edge for the kids. Because at the end of the day, if they don't love you and they don't believe in you, when it gets really hard, they're, they're not going to execute the way they need to. And if they do love you and do care about you because they know you love them the same or more, then that's when you're going to get to that potential that the kid may, may knew that they had, may, may, maybe they didn't know they had it. You know? But again, to me, that's something that, again, I'm kind of getting in that stage of my career where guys I've coached are getting married and I'm getting wedding invitations and getting those guys calling me. You know, Before my first game here at Marshall this year, I had a group text with all my former tight ends and you know, texting those guys, hey, love you, appreciate everything you did for me. And I'm so happy that those guys are being successful in what they're doing moving forward. Cause at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's your legacy. It's not about wins. It's not about rings. It's about humans. And if those guys think of me the way that I think of them and they hold me in that regard, that my dad's players think of him and still think of him, then, then I've done what I'm supposed to do. Well, coach, I can't tell you how much, I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you from me. Thank you from our listeners. Also, thank you to Coach Drankall, Coach Reed, Coach Mitchell Shepard for submitting the questions. Uh, listeners, I encourage you to continue to do that here as we work through all these podcasts here and the extra time we have. And follow Coach Segler. It's at Coach underscore Segler, which is S-E-G-L-E-R. And uh, coach, uh, for our, our listeners out there, where do you focus your recruiting? I recruit the uh, basically southern part of Atlanta, all the way down to the, the border of Florida. There, so I've got Middle Georgia and South Georgia, and excited to hopefully get back out there to uh, some of my area coaches. And again, all those guys out there that are listening, feel free to give me a follow, reach out, love to talk ball and philosophy with you guys, and keep moving our game forward in the right way. Absolutely, coach. Again, thank you, and stay safe. All right, Coach. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what you've already done. Uh, Check it out, all of our our program development for youth football at fdm.usafootball.com. Again, check out our systems for blocking, tackling, and defeating blocks at footballdevelopment.com. If you register with your email, you get your choice of three free videos. There's some great things in there. I think things that as you get going again, can get into the summer and maybe make up on some things that you might have lost if you had a spring ball, if you had time here in the spring to work on football. Some great drills for all those phases of contact. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please have it over to iTunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.